how to be a more thankful people. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for just hanging with me through that little fun diversion. Um, <laughs> we're mostly fullness people here today, right? Um, we may have a couple of guests, so let's just relax, have some fun, study the Word of God. And I pray that by the end of it, you will have a better grasp, as I've been trying to get a better grasp, on the importance of thankfulness. Uh, I, sometimes the things that seem simple are, in fact, more than simple. They are critical. And the more I've been studying gratitude and thankfulness, the more I think we underestimate the unbelievable power of gratitude and therefore the, the terrible trap of ingratitude. Um, last week, I tried to point out, just as a basic understanding, that gratitude begins with a proper perspective. The perspective is this, God has redeemed us and therefore we are always to be thankful. No matter what other circumstances are going on in our lives, we are to be a thankful people. That it continues with action. Added, gratitude is not merely a state of your heart. It is a state of your heart that then works its way out into the way you respond to people, the way you live your life. And it culminates in worship. That a grateful person... Um, we, we have to be worshiping. We have to be a worshiping people, a wonderful Savior. And the passage we looked at, and we're going to kind of use this as another base again today, is Colossians 4.2 that says, Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Being watchful and thankful. Um, in other words, prayer really reaches its effectiveness when we are watchful, when we're awake, and when we're thankful. Uh, too often, prayer comes from a place of, I want to tell God what my problem is. I want to tell God what my need is. I want to tell God how he has shortchanged me. I want to tell God where things are falling short here, that he needs to take care of it. But really, if you want to make prayer effective, then you need to make prayer come from a position of thankfulness. A response to God, what God has done in our lives. Thankfulness is a power in your life that unlocks many of the benefits of prayer. And all the rest of the spiritual disciplines as well. We're going to see in just a moment how important gratitude and thankfulness is to unlocking really all the spiritual disciplines of your life. When you do things like pray or read the Bible fast, tithe, give money to the needs of those, in, those who have needs. But you do it without gratitude, you're missing something. It's like it's there, but you're not breaking through. You're not breaking through. And so what occurs is you have something good, but you have something blocking the way. And I would say many times the thing blocking your way is a lack of gratefulness, a lack of gratitude. I, I'm, I'm sure you've seen things like what I'm going to show you in a minute, uh, pictures where there's something good but something stupid that makes it not work right. This will make sense as we look at the pictures. 
I mean, a gate is a good thing and can be, but it's lost its effectiveness if all you have to do is kind of go around. Stay with me. Enjoy your view from the bench if you can get on the bench. Somebody thought putting a fence there was a good idea. Uh, I don't even know what this is, but you have to be the thinnest person alive to live in the apartments uh, in this building. Don't you feel sometimes that that's what the Christian life looks like in some of our lives? It's just a facade with nothing behind. I'll go on. I love this one. Can you read it? Bus stop. No services stop here. Why have the sign? Just take the sign down. Here's one, another one of my favorites. I don't want the water with the calories. I want the, I want the diet water. I, it's kind of hard to see. Do I have a pointer on this? Do I have a laser on this thing, Larry? Oh, my goodness. I know I do, I just don't know how to work it. Okay, I'm done. There's a door up there. Do you see the door with no stairs? It's kind of like, I don't know, I, unless you want a surprise for lunch. Somebody coming through the door. Okay, it's no big deal. I left my, I left my lunch in the drawers. Another misplaced gate. But don't you think it's love? It's got a nice landscape to it. Oh no, there's a gate here. Lord, help us if there's a fire. I think you get the idea here that the paving guy and the landscape guy did not get together when they decided they were going to. I wonder what that tree's doing over there. Oh, I love this one. It'll take you a second. Anybody see it? Let's put the stoppers at the front of the parking space. Because we don't want anybody to park in these places at all. Effective use of the peephole. Oh, no, I don't want to look out the window. <laughs> I love this one. Some of you are kind of trying to follow. Why have the pole? To put the sign on, <laughs> that's right. To put the sign on to tell you to beware of the pole when you're backing up. <laughs> Sidewalk, it's going to end in 20 feet. Whatever you do, stop right here. Do not go on into that bush or that wall. <laughs> I, I, I put them just like the drawing said. Some of you having trouble seeing it. The stairs go nowhere. They're going to run into each other. Anyway, 
just for fun. I'm going to go down. Adam, catch me if I go. <laughs> no. Um, thank, thankfulness unlocks the other stuff. But sometimes we don't know, even as silly as those pictures are, we don't know in our lives that we're blocking things with our spirit of ingratitude. And I, I believe God wants us to walk in all that he has for us. And that gratitude is one of the primary keys that unlocks this wonderful, the wonderful nature of our relationship with God. So, let's look at some points about gratitude. First, gratitude is expressed in accountability. Gratitude is expressed in accountability. You may think these two things are mutually exclusive. What does gratitude have to do with being accountable? But I believe there's a direct connection that many times goes unseen between gratitude and accountability. Let me see if I can articulate it clearly. So please, God, give me grace here. Whenever you realize that what you have comes as a gift from God, that what you've received is from him, then you have an underlying accountability that goes back to him. Do you understand? I've received this gift from God. Now I need to handle this wonderful gift that God gives me. That's accountability. I'm accountable to him for the gift that he has given in my life. And this divine accountability really shapes our entire conscience. It shapes our civil conscience. It's, it shapes our church conscience. It shapes our individual conscience. We've been reading over the last months in the Old Testament, and if you're following with, <clears throat> with me, <coughs> excuse me, you, you know the story. Nation of Israel comes out of Egypt into the land of promise, goes through all the stuff over hundreds of years, and they just keep getting worse and worse until eventually God destroys tens of, ten of the tribes who never heard from again, and the two tribes of Judah that are left are carried off into captivity in Babylon. The more you read about the kings and the people and their idolatry and their sexual immorality and uh, how they just turn away from God, you, you, you want to say, what is wrong with these people? Why can't they just worship God? Don't they see the connection? The kings that worshiped God and had a heart for God, their kingdoms went well, their rule went well. Those who followed after other gods and worshiped idols, they went badly. Listen, we're not, we, I don't, we understand we're not much different. The more prosperous we become, the harder it is to actually be accountable. And I'll point that out more in just a minute. But way back in Deuteronomy, the whole book of Deuteronomy is Moses prepping the people to enter the land. And a lot of what happens in Deuteronomy, we think is, oh, it's just Moses telling them again and again, follow the law. Follow the law. Here are the rules. Here are the regulations. Do these things. But I think Moses, back in chapter 6 of Deuteronomy, gives a very important premise about following the law. So, just follow with me as I read some passages from Deuteronomy 6, verses 6 through 20. He says to the people, this is his pep talk. Moses is going to die not long after this. They're about to enter the land. He's not going with them. Here's what he wants to say to them. 
Observe the commands of the Lord your God, walking in his ways and revering him, revering him, revering him, revering him. Um, he's, he starts off by saying, you want to obey the, the laws of the Lord. And then here's how he continues. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with streams and pools of water, with springs flowing in the valleys and hills, a land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil, and honey, a land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing, a land where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills. Remember, they're coming out of the desert. They're about to come out of 40 years of wandering in the desert. All they've had for 40 years is manna. They've been eating the same meal for 40 years. Now they're going into a land and he starts to articulate, hey, this is going to be great. You're going to have all these things that God's going to provide for you. And he says, when you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. He's saying, when you get in there and realize what you've got, praise him. Give him thanks for all that he's given to you. Recognition and gratitude were critical components to their obedience. Let me say it again. Recognition and gratitude are critical components to their obedience. When you come in, when you recognize that all of this is a gift from God, praise his name and follow his command. He goes on, and I'm going I'm to kind of bring this circular around. He says, be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God <coughs> failing to observe his commands, his laws and his decrees that I am giving you this day. Don't forget all he's done. Don't forget what he's done so you don't forget and then become disobedient. Verses 12 and 14, reading on. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You may even say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. What happens when we start to think, this is what I have done? I tell you what happens. We are accountable to ourselves. We're no longer accountable to God. We, we, we don't see the connection. This is a gift from him. Therefore, I'm going to be accountable to him. I'm going to love him. I'm in a relationship with him. Rather, we are self-dependent. We're proud. Verse 18, he says, but remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. And it goes on from this, and I didn't put these verses, read 19 and 20, and it goes on, it says, and so confirms his covenant. He connects gratitude with covenantal living following after him. How many of you reading in James this morning? Read James. Faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead. James is trying to say, listen, when you, when you walk in faith, when you have this 
recognition that God has blessed you, when you receive in gratitude from him, then you want to do. You step out to respond to him. Gratitude should drive us. Gratitude makes us generous. Gratitude keeps us humble. But take God and gratitude out of the equation, and all you're left with is law. We've seen in the past that law can't save us. Law can only point out to us what we do wrong. Law is all that we have left. A couple of weeks ago, we went, uh, our staff went and heard uh, Tim Keller speak at Samford University. Tim Keller is a well-known author and pastor, and he was speaking on work, and I can't remember if it was in his uh, talk or in the questions, but he started talking about how, uh, in light of the scandal that's happened with um, the bank, help me someone, Wells Fargo, thank you. I know it was Wells. I couldn't. Re- I kept thinking H.G. Wells, and I didn't think he had a problem recently. But uh, with Wells Fargo, you know, there's been a scandal with the bank, and so um, he was saying that he had been reading about how people were saying to the CEO, "You should give the money back. The money that you've made as a bonus, you should give it back." And T. Keller was pointing this out based on what? Why should he give it back? Well, people are saying, well, it's not illegal. What he did was not, what he did personally was not illegal. He took a bonus based on what some employees did that may not have been legal. But what he did was legal, so why should he give it back? And people are saying, well, because it's just not right. Keller's basically saying, who says it's not right? Based on what? You see, when, when we lose gratitude that God is the one who provides, then we are no longer accountable to him. We lose our civil conscience, and therefore all we're left with is, well, if the law says it's wrong, then we got to do it like this, rather than saying, no, this is not right in the sight of God. You see how gratitude, I don't know if I'm articulating this very well, but gratitude is like the first domino that if it falls, we lose accountability. If we lose accountability, we lose our civil conscience. And then if we lose that, all we're left with is legalism because we're accountable to no one now but the government. Same thing happened back in 2008 through 2009 when the AIG scandal happened. And uh, they lost like $60 billion dollars. And then the government was trying to buy them out, trying to help do a rescue operation. Then it was discovered their their executives were going to make like $200 million in bonuses for the year they lost $60 billion. So President Obama said to the Attorney General at the time, go find out what's illegal here. They found out what they were doing by taking these millions of dollars in bonuses was not illegal. And, And Obama tried to appeal to them and say the right thing to do is to give the money back. It's my understanding nobody gave the money back. Moses is saying to them, and here's the point and the problem, without gratitude, you don't have accountability. Without accountability, you don't have a civil conscience, and all that you're left with is laws. See, Moses' ideal here was, was never, hey, 
Just follow the law. Just follow the law. I'm giving you this law, now just do it. Buck up and do it. No, he's saying, look, God brought you out of Egypt. God delivered you from the hands of Egyptians. God brought you through the desert. Now he's going to give you a land flowing with all of this stuff. And when you build your house and when you sit down and when you realize what God has provided, give thanks and follow him. Whenever we, I know I keep hammering this, but I, I think it's really important. Whenever we stop giving thanks, we're in danger of no longer following him. We instead follow after whatever feels good to him, us. We live in a nation and we, we go to churches where people say, look, whatever's right to you, whatever feels good to you, whatever brings you happiness, whatever brings you satisfaction, then go after that. Why? Because you are the center of the universe. It's all about you. You've provided. I've done my wealth. I've gotten this. And God is saying, no, don't forget the Lord your God. He's the one who even gives you the ability to produce wealth. <clears throat> Leads to the second point, which I think is a little obvious, that if, we're, if we lose this perspective, then we become arrogant. Prosperity without gratitude makes us arrogant. Paul says in Philippians 4, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. This is a major step. No matter what your circumstances, can you be content? Paul goes on and says, sorry, I he goes on and says, and I don't have it up there. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. <clears throat> content means this inner peace, this inner position of gratitude before the Lord. So whether I don't have anything or whether I have everything monetarily, can I live in thankfulness and contentment? And, and I would say that, of course, it's obvious to us that if we li live in a lack, that sometimes it's hard to be thankful for our lack, right? I, I mean, I understand that. But I would say it's, it's actually harder to live in prosperity and to remain grateful. Because prosperity makes us arrogant. You know any rich people? Any rich people run for public office? I mean, it becomes an arrogance that we don't quite understand, but the, it, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a loss. It's a loss in our lives of gratitude because we think we have done it. And if we think we have done it, then we become arrogant. Robert Roberts, in a book called uh, Spiritual Emotions, The Psychology of Christian Virtues, he talks about uh, this uniquely Christian framework we have for giving gratitude. And he talks about um, what he calls uh, this Latin phrase, bene, which means good, um, 
bene, uh, the B-E-N-E, and it's different words. Um, my brother and I always used to joke, we were always used to joke about jobs, and we talked about it's all about the bennies, um, the bennies, the benefits that you get from the job. So, for instance, we used to work at uh, Texas Christian University. He and I were both hall directors, and somebody would say, does it pay anything? And we'd say, no, but it's got some great bennies. We got free food, free housing. Uh, we got paid money to do next to nothing. That's a, do you understand? It was a joke. Uh, sorry, you're not getting as We thought it was hysterical at the time. But the first benny that uh, benefit is this idea that in order for me to be grateful, I have to be receiving a gift, and I have to perceive that that gift is good. That I'm receiving every good and perfect gift comes from above. So I'm receiving a good gift. I'm receiving some sort of benefit. Psalm 103 says this, Praise the Lord, O my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, all the good things that are given. These are beneficial for me. Like what? Oh, these. He forgives all your sins, heals all your diseases, redeems your life from the pit, crowns you with love and compassion, satisfies your desires with good things. Those are benefits. You talk about the bennies. Those are good ones. Forgiveness, healing, provision. So we have to, to, to really be a grateful people. We have to understand that there's a benefit coming our way. Second bit that he talks about is a benefactor, that someone is providing. There is one who does good. For me to be grateful, I have to believe not just that these benefits are coming from my own strength or, my, or just happening in my life, but somebody is providing them. They're coming in some good intention toward me. The Bible says that we have a great benefactor, and I read this this morning, I just quoted it, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights. We have a Father, a benefactor, who is providing benefits in our lives, and leads me to the third, Benny, which is that I am the beneficiary. I am the one receiving the benefits of a great benefactor who has my best interest at heart, and this is going on all the time. The, this, this framework will keep us from becoming arrogant. I'm receiving a benefit, not of my own doing, not just by happenstance, but from a benefactor, and I'm the beneficiary of it. Robert Emmons says this, the self is a very poor place to find happiness or meaning in life. Gratefulness is a knowing awareness that we are the recipients of goodness. The great hindrance to gratefulness is this entitlement mentality that says, I deserve this. I'm owed this. And if I don't get the benefit that I think I deserve, then what am I? I'm ungrateful. I should have this benefit because I deserve it, not because I have this benefactor who's, who's bestowing this on me. Ingratitude leads to arrogance. You can be grateful in all circumstances, lack and lots, 
if you understand that it's God who's providing for you. And Paul learns that. You see this at work in our children. Uh, when they believe that they deserve what they are getting, you know, I, I deserve this. I deserve this. One of my favorites, I'm going to show you this clip. I know I've showed you other clips from here before, but one of my favorite things every year, I, I, I don't watch Jimmy Kimmel all the time, but every year I go out to find Jimmy Kimmel's um, thing that he does at Halloween where he tells parents to, to say to their children, I ate all your Halloween candy the morning after Halloween to film them and then respond. Some of you soft-hearted people are totally appalled at this, but it is hysterical. Uh, and so I'm just going to, this is my sense of humor, so just hang with me. Ask for, you know, you can pray for me later. But um, this is a, an example of what happens when people are entitled. Sixth annual, hey, Jimmy Kimmel, I told my kids I ate all their Halloween candy. Mommy and I last night, we were watching uh, a movie, and we ate all of your candy. Here, step up. Look at, look at it again. Oh, God. <laughs> they ate all of your Halloween candy, and there's no more left. Halloween candy. You're just joking. Uh, nope, I ate it all. I just wanted to let you know I ate all your candy. Huh? I ate all your Halloween candy. Uh, there's like five more minutes of this. Uh, to me, it shows the nature of our hearts. I mean, is there anything more undeserving than Halloween candy? I mean, really, you did nothing but go knock on somebody's door and just collect the goods. But then you think, I worked so hard for this candy. This is my candy. It leads to an arrogance. Last year, um, I think it was a year and a half ago now, I went to the eye doctor for my annual checkup. And uh, most of you know I wear contacts. And I'm getting tired of wearing contacts. You know, I've worn contacts for a long time. So I thought I would seek. I would talk to the doctor about getting LASIK surgery. Like, I've always wanted it, but instead of having things I, I wanted, I had five children, so I just give them the things they need to, to live. And so I can never afford LASIK surgery. You know, times are changing. I'm looking to the future. Maybe they'll get out of college someday. Um, you know, all that sort of stuff. I'm grateful for my children, by the way. A anyway, 
um, I went to the doctor. I said to her, hey, am I a candidate for LASIK surgery? So she said, I don't know. Let me do the exam. We'll look at you and see how it is. And so she did the exam. She comes back and she says, hey, good news, which I think is going to be followed by you're a candidate uh, for this. But no, she says, hey, good news. You've got cataracts forming. And if we just wait a year or two, then we'll have to do surgery. You'll get better lenses and insurance will cover it. And in my heart, I had no gratitude. You know, I'm thinking, there's no stinking way I have cataracts. That's an old people thing. You know, old people get cataracts. Not me. Look at me. I'm doing, I'm doing good. I am not old. That's, that's what happens in our lives. Because we think, I'm deserving this, and here's the path I want to go. And maybe God says, hey, here's the path I want you to go. Here's where I'm taking you. And you're like, no stinking way. That's not the way I want to go. And as a result, we have ingratitude because we've cast this vision for the direction of our lives without seeking God, who is the one who is the giver, who in re relationship. Could it be that actually one of the things that happened is we've lost the whole concept of lordship? I mean, really, we've lost the idea that he is the Lord and not me. When we, when we're un when we are ungrateful, we're unaccountable, and we're arrogant. But the good news is this, that true gratitude is empowering. It is empowering. Being thankful is not just some religious exercise. There are real benefits. Here's the idea. We're receiving benefits, and when we're grateful, we receive greater benefit. We receive more because we're being we're within God's economy and God's dynamic. Let me give you an example. By the way, uh, Cicero, a Roman philosopher, said this, Gratitude is not only the greatest of virtues, but the parent of all the others. Bible story, I'll summarize it quickly. Jesus comes across ten lepers who need healing. And it says, now on the way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance. I didn't do very good with my PowerPoint this week. It said, they stood at a distance and called out to him in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. So these guys, these lepers, are standing back at a distance because, you know, lepers in that day and age, they were unclean. They couldn't get close, and they say, have mercy on us. These guys have no hope. These guys are separated from society unto death. So he sees them. When he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priests. By the way, ever think about this? We, we know the end of the story here, but he doesn't say, hey, go show yourself to the priests and you'll be healed. He doesn't say, I bless you with healing 
They call out for help. Jesus says, go show yourself to the priest. Cataracts LASIK. Do you know what I mean? The idea, oh, wait, I want healing. Jesus tells me to do something else. Now, to their credit, the ten take off. They go, oh, what do we got to lose? Let's go show ourselves to the priest. Now, understand this. They, they realized that showing self, yourself to the priest was the idea of if I, got clean, if I got healed and cleansed, then I show myself to the priest. They declare me healed. I can reintegrate into society. So they, they had an understanding what Jesus was telling them. But it wasn't like they got healed and headed out to the priest. It says, and as they went, they were cleansed. As they went, they were cleansed. The obedience preceded the healing. By the way, this is a whole different lesson, but it's really important. Most of us think, I'm going to get healed, and then I'll follow after God. I'm going to get well, and then I'll do great things for God. I'll get my money in order, and then I'll give. I will uh, learn all the right words, and then I'll witness. I'll do this. I'll, I'll, we are so stinking arrogant. Rather, it's in the going that faith is unleashed in our lives, and things happen. It's a whole other discernment. I'll do that next year, but it's really good. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. That just kind of throws that in. He's a foreigner. One of the ten. They're going along. They realize they're healed. Doesn't really say how far they got, but probably more than like this far. You know, otherwise everybody would have turned around, right? They went far enough where it was going to make an effort to come back. Wonder how far along it took before they realized they were healed. How many steps away from Jesus and toward the priest that they realize I'm healed? Well, one of them says, I'm healed. And turns around and goes headed back. Jesus then says, We're, we're not all ten cleansed. Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise except this foreigner? Now, Jesus isn't being ugly here. He's just saying. He asked three questions. We're not ten cleansed. Yeah. Is the answer? Everybody got healed. What happened to the other nine? You ever thought this might be a percentage thing on gratitude? Like nine out of every ten times we really don't give thanks like we should? I don't know that for sure. But it's revealing that only one came back. And he says, Wasn't, is only this foreigner, is he the guy, is he the only one? Now, by the way, He's wanting to say, I think, in this, that healing is not just reserved for Jews, nor is gratitude just a, a, a circumstantial birthright. That really, the way we say thanks, we're, no one's unqualified or disqualified to give thanks. We were all thirsty. We all came to drink. 
of the living water, now we all give thanks. I, I ask myself this every time I read this passage. Where, where would I have been? Would I have been with the nine or with the guy who came back? Now, this is the way my mind works. I don't know about you. I'm a little bit of a legalist at times. And I live among a people who are legalists, and so I'm just going to share my heart with you. He said, go show yourself to the priest and get healed. So I'm on my way. I get healed. So should I go to the priest? What if I don't go to the priest? Is my healing going to keep? Am I going to stay healed if I turn around and go give him thanks? Because he said, go to the priest. So what if I don't go to You understand the, the dilemma. I would be standing there trying to argue with myself. Because I got to do exactly what he said to do. I, here's the lesson I think he's saying. Gratitude trumps everything. There's a, there's a lesson here about gratitude. Some of us, law, thanks. I think Jesus is saying thanks precedes law as Moses did. Guy comes back, then Jesus says to him, rise and go, your faith has made you well. By the way, most scholars believe that when Jesus speaks this over him, it is a greater blessing. He, he is like healing this guy from the inside out. It's more than just the leprosy. He's getting a greater blessing because of his faith. There's something that he's now entering into relationship with Christ, following Christ, and there's a greater blessing that happens. You see, what I think it's saying is when we recognize that every good and perfect gift comes from above, and we give thanks and we walk in it, not being arrogant but being humble, that God releases greater blessings in our lives that we in turn can give more thanks for. It's this growing area. Have you ever thought that maybe you're not receiving what you're asking for because you're not giving thanks for what you've already got? Gratitude requires a reorientation. Paul says this, I thank my God every time I remember you. When he's talking about the Philippian church, think about this. Name one person in your life who every time you think about them, you give thanks. Now, I'm not just saying this because I bet in most of our hearts and lives, that list is very small. Because most of the time when we think about people, we do think some good things, but we are also incredibly critical. I thank my God for my mom every day, except for when she did this to me, or that to me. Or that to me. I'm not talking about mom. I'm just talking about, I, I give thanks every day for my mom. Except for, you know, we all have this short, we have the big list. We say, well, they did mostly good stuff, but I remember that. Paul's able to say, I, I thank my God every time I remember you. And there aren't many pastor church founders who can talk about a church like that. A people like that. Why? Because we've got to reorient ourselves to be a people of gratitude rather than a people of 
being ungrateful. So how do we do this? I, I want to say this. Raise your ingratitude sensing antenna. In other words, start to be sensitive when in your life you're becoming ungrateful. Ask, and if you want to do this, really, ask the Holy Spirit to show you. He'll help you to help see the times you're being ungrateful. Become more aware of how many times it springs up with you. And instead, cultivate contentment in Jesus. Begin to realize, I, lack or prosperous, I'm content because I'm in him. And to do that, I believe you have to cultivate that. To know that ultimately God brings ultimate satisfaction. And every time you feel ingratitude springing up in your life, make a conscious decision to, 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 to tear it out and instead supplant it with gratitude. As an act of your will, say, I'm going to be grateful. Now, I, I, I understand human nature. And I know you, and I know me. And some of you are sitting there today saying, you don't know what I've been through. You don't know what I'm going through. You don't know. There's no way you can be grateful for this. Look, I, I'm not saying... be unreasonable in the sense of, I think you're seeing this wrong. Instead, be grateful for God. Be grateful for God, and then the circumstance will take care of itself in the sense of your heart will overwhelm the circumstance. Do you understand? Because some of you are saying, I can't be grateful for the abuse I went through. Okay, I, I'm with you. But you can be grateful for what God has provided in your life and the healing that can come your way that will overcome the abuse. You understand the difference? In other words, we've got, you're focusing on the wrong thing again. Paul's saying, I can be content in every circumstance because God has done all of this for me. Here's what I want us to see this morning, fullness. I believe God has great things that he wants for us as a people, individually and corporately in the days ahead. And as simple as this sounds, if we're going to unlock it, then we've got to start being more grateful. That maybe one of the reasons we're not seeing all that God has for us is because we're living lives of entitlement. Lives that say, this is what God has to do in my life. Instead, let's be grateful for what he's provided. And as we enter into this season of prayer and fasting that we're going to be doing in January, as we continue to seek after God, let's, let's do it with hearts of gratitude. Thank you, God, for all that you've done. Reorient me to be used as a weapon in your hand to accomplish what you want done. As we celebrate Thanksgiving this week, Let's not just see it as some national meal day. But instead, use it as an opportunity to really say, God, I want to cultivate gratitude in my life and to 
see ingratitude because I don't want to live an arrogant, unaccountable life. Lord, we thank you. Again, let me begin by saying thank you because you are a great God and greatly to be praised. And I, I pray that, Spirit of God, you would, you would help me in my shortcomings by making this truth come alive in the hearts of people today, in my own heart. I want to be a thankful person. I don't want to be a ingrate. I don't want to be unaccountable. I don't want to be arrogant. I want to be a humble servant of the Lord my God who sees that every good and perfect gift is indeed flowing out of your presence. And I want to be more focused on you and the provision that you've given for my sin and the life I have in you rather than on the circumstances that I feel like are not going my way. Lord, I pray it will change who I am. It will change my heart. It will break off the bitterness in all of us. It will break off the unforgiveness we have toward others. It will, it will break off and break through the walls that are preventing us from saying, I'm praying, I'm giving, I'm going to church, I'm, I'm doing all these things. Why aren't you coming through, God? Let gratitude be unleashed in our lives so that it will empower our futures. Lord, we thank you, and we bless you, and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. See, we...